All right, we're all shared out. So that's the good news. Um, that reminds me of a horrible joke I'd like to say. Um, what did Heyman say before he got hung? No noose is good news. Okay, all right, that's a bad one. I think I've said it a couple times. But um, all right, so it's great to see you all tonight, whether you're on Zoom, whether you're on Facebook. Um, tonight, we're gonna set the, set the stage for the high holidays. Um, with that, wherever you're gonna spend the high holidays, today's class is gonna be meaningful for you. Uh, at least I hope so, where we're gonna try and really understand the holiday. You know, we celebrate the same holidays every single year. And some people think it's like, a, it's like a circle, right? People describe it as a circle. You go in a circle. But in a circle, when you celebrate, it's the same thing every year, right? So the matzah is the same. And really, the matzah is the same. It tastes just as hard every year. Uh, the Rosh Hashanah dinner, it changes a little bit. Uh, that would be a circle. But we believe Jewish holidays are like a spiral staircase that's going up. So the holidays look the same. But every year, they should be more meaningful and, and more special to you. So even if you're doing the same rituals, you want to try and find ways every single year to upgrade and enhance your holiday. And thankfully, there's so much uh, Jewish uh, literature out there about the holidays that you can always upgrade. And so my plan to help you with the holidays this year is we're going to spend today discussing a little bit about Rosh Hashanah, the meaning behind the holidays, some of the rituals. Uh, hopefully, you'll come away appreciating the Rosh Hashanah a little bit more. And if we finish the holidays, I'd like to go over in the next week um, a little bit about the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. If you've ever come to synagogue or if you look at the prayers, you look at the prayer book, the prayer book for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, they're like as big as the prayer book for the whole year. Giant, giant prayer books. And uh, there's always a lot to discuss about the prayers. A lot of people get lost sitting there for hours. So understanding a little bit about the structure of the prayers would be very helpful. But for this week, we're going to start with Rosh Hashanah. And um, the first thing we have to start with when we talk about Rosh Hashanah is the history of Rosh Hashanah. Um, what does Rosh Hashanah commemorate? When was the first Rosh Hashanah? And so that's what we're going to start with. So the first Rosh Hashanah obviously occurred in the first year of creation, right? Rosh Hashanah, as many people would note, uh, or would say commemorates creation, which is almost correct, right? Rosh Hashanah commemorates the creation. So anybody knows what year we're going to be celebrating this year, the creation? Anybody knows? You can put in the, you can put in the, uh, you can unmute or put in the chat. 5780 something. 5782. Yep. Yep. 5782. This year commemorates the year 5782. So it's 5782 years to creation. And hopefully you'll be getting your calendars in the mail soon. And it'll say in big letters on top of it, 5782. So 5782 years to creation. When you see a Jewish calendar, it says a date. The date is from the date of creation. But in reality, it's not entirely to creation. And what do I mean by that? Um, how many days of creation were there? Any, any thoughts? You can put up your fingers if you want. Six. Six. Six days of creation. Yep, there were six days of creation. The world was created in six days. However, we do not celebrate Rosh Hashanah on the first day of creation. We celebrate Rosh Hashanah on the sixth day of creation. What or who was created on the sixth day of creation? Well, a couple things. 
but amongst them was mankind. Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day of creation. And that is the day we celebrate as the new year. So the new year, we don't celebrate the day the world was created. We celebrate on the sixth day of creation. Why are we celebrating it on the sixth day of creation as opposed to the first? Because the ultimate purpose of the creation of the whole world was for mankind to work this world. In other words, the world's a nice place. There's lots of forests and topography and there's Florida and there's New York and there's mountains and valleys and rivers and animals and creatures. And there's National Geographic. There's lots of beautiful things in this world. But the world without mankind is not, was not God's desire and purpose. And so the last thing God put in there was mankind. That's the last thing that was created. There were a couple things created at Twilight. That's another discussion for another time. But for all practical purposes, really, mankind is the last thing created. And, and we know that's the last and most important thing. I'll give you an example. You build a house. Uh, first, you build a foundation. That comes first, right? But would anybody say, oh, I'm building the house for the foundation? No, right? And then you build the walls and then you build the roof and you, you put in furniture. But the last thing that goes in is what you're building the house for, and that's the people that go in the house, right? You can build a whole beautiful house with the most exquisite furniture and, and the best foundation and a, and a beautiful hurricane-proof roof. But if there's no people in it, it's not a house. I mean, it's not a house that you care about, right? And so similarly, God, he created this whole world, but the world should be operated by the human beings that are in it. And so that's the first message to us is the importance of our mission on this earth. And so every year when we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, we need to take a moment to reflect on that, that we're celebrating the new year for the world on a day we're created because there's so much for us to do in this world. There's so much for us as humanity that we have to do in this world. And so we need to make sure that uh, we think about what are we doing on this earth? In other words, on this earth, we can survive or we can change the world around us. If I'm just surviving, um, which sometimes that's the stage we're in, we're just surviving, like babies are just surviving, okay? But as we get older, we have to try and find ways to affect the world around us. It can even be in how you're survived. In other words, in your workplace, you can affect the people around you in all the different areas of your life. But we always have to think of not what we need, but what we are needed for. Again, we have to think about in our lives, not what we need, but what we are needed for. We're here for a purpose. We're here on this earth. We're here to do something. And whether you're retired, whether you're working, whatever it is, there's, there's a mission for us. And as long as we're here on this earth, we have to think about what is it that I'm going to do. So that's the first message that I take from Rosh Hashanah, the fact that we celebrate Rosh Hashanah on um, that uh, on the day that man is created. So that's the first historical idea of Rosh Hashanah, the day man is created, mankind, I should say, because both Adam and Eve were created on the first day. And uh, that also tells us that it's a message to us. Think about what am I doing on this earth to fulfill my mission? The second historical thing that happened on uh, Rosh Hashanah, the first Rosh Hashanah ever in the year is 5,782 years ago, um, is God was proclaimed as king. Until mankind came around, all the creatures on the earth were just doing their thing. The first being to recognize that there's a creator was Adam and Eve. Uh, it says Adam and Eve proclaimed God as king on the day that were, they were created. And we actually do the same thing every year, Rosh Hashanah. If you look in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, uh, there's a whole section of the prayers called Malchiot, kingship. We proclaim God as king. 
So a lot of what we're doing in Rosh Hashanah is, is doing the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the first Rosh Hashanah, which is to proclaim God as king, to say, God, you are the king of the world. You are the king of this earth, and uh, we submit ourselves to you. So that's another idea of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, both of these are not what most people, when they think about Rosh Hashanah, think of. Uh, the third historical thing is what most people think about when they think about Rosh Hashanah. And now it's not honey cake. Most people think about judgment, right? Uh, oh boy, I got to come to synagogue. I'm going to be judged. Who knows what's going to happen, right? So where is this historical idea of judgment? <clears throat> it also happened on the first time, on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So again, 5,782 years ago, when Adam was created, it was also a day of judgment. How was it a day of judgment? Well, what did Adam do on the first day he was created? Any thoughts? What did he do? Some very famous story. Genesis. Huh? You could also put in the comments. Or... With, with, the, uh, with the serpent and the... The story and with then, the serpent. And then he also used his rib to create Eve. Right. His, his rib was used to create Eve. And after that, the famous story with the serpent and he sinned. Well, he sinned. Well, then there was judgment. Until you sin, <laughs> there's not really any judgment. So the first historical day of judgment also happened on the first day people were created. Um, so again, we have so far three interesting things that happen on the same date. Mankind was created, which is the culmination of the creation of the world. So we celebrate in Rosh Hashanah the creation of the world with the culmination of man. We also celebrate proclaiming God as king. We also commemorate judgment. It says the day of Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. It started off with Adam and Eve being judged, but we are also all judged on the day of Rosh Hashanah. And then there's another item that has happened to Rosh Hashanah throughout the generations. This one did not happen necessarily in the first Rosh Hashanah, but it happened later on. Um, we are told that many um, powerful prayers were answered on Rosh Hashanah. It says the prayer of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah, who all had trouble having children, all of those great women, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah, Hannah was the mother of the prophet Samuel, they were all, their prayers were all answered on Rosh Hashanah. So again, we see another connection to something we do today, to the historical date of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a day when our prayers are answered. So I think you're starting to see a theme of a lot of the things that we do in Rosh Hashanah have a historical backing to it. We celebrate the, the, the new year because it is indeed a new year. Was It's a new year from when the world was originally created with the culmination being man. It's also a day of proclaiming God as king, which happened in the first year. It's also a day of judgment, which happened in the first year that, of Rosh Hashanah. And it's also a day to pray to God as we know that um, our prayers were answered in Rosh Hashanah. But now, those are all things that we know about in Rosh Hashanah, but there's another thing we do in Rosh Hashanah which doesn't seem to fit to, to fit with all of these themes. So if I were to ask you, what do you think about in Rosh Hashanah, right? So one thing people think about is judgment. Um, there's, that, uh, there's that old joke they say of the, the kid who comes to synagogue and he looks at the rabbi and he's looking all around the synagogue and he looks at the wall of the synagogue and he sees a big board, lots of names on it little lights next to them and he asks the rabbi what's what are the names on this board about and the rabbi says oh these are all 
the uh, men and women who died in service. And so the little kid looks at the rabbi and says, Rabbi, which service? Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur? Okay. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we tend to have a very, on one hand, we tend to have a very um, depressed, I don't want to say depressed, but we tend to have a very uh, morbid or scared feeling about Rosh Hashanah, the day of judgment, the day when you're, you know, rich in the book of life, life or death. But at the same time, if I were to ask you, what do you feel about Rosh Hashanah? Any, any thoughts over here? What else, what else do we do in Rosh Hashanah? It's kind of a different theme. Any thoughts? Doesn't really fit with anything I spoke about before. I would think a joyous thing because it's the, it's the start of a new year and you think of apples and honey and round challahs and things like that. Yeah, yeah, very good, exactly. We, we tend to think of Rosh Hashanah actually as a joyous day. Many people gather together for Rosh Hashanah dinner. We have the apples and honey, we have the honey cake. It even actually says the prayers in Rosh Hashanah are not supposed to go too long so that people can have time to eat. The rabbis uh, don't keep to that very well, but so it says. Um, somebody mentioned your shofar. Shofar is, yes, it is something else we do in Rosh Hashanah. It is related to a lot of the rituals we'll be talking about and I will tie it in. Um, what I really wanted to focus on now is kind of this paradox where at the one hand, we have Rosh Hashanah, the day of judgment, a day of proclaiming God as king, a day of, uh, you know, creation and thinking about what we're needed for. And at the same time, it's kind of a celebration. The judgment and celebration don't seem to fit. And I'm going to build upon my question. If you actually look at the prayers on Rosh Hashanah, you will see very little in there about forgiveness. Very little of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah actually speak about forgiveness. We'll discuss it next week what they do talk about, but very little in the actual Rosh Hashanah prayers talk about forgiveness. It's almost ignored. In fact, even during temple times, there was no forgiveness offering that was brought on Rosh Hashanah. It was brought in Yom Kippur, brought other times. There was no forgiveness offering brought on Rosh Hashanah. And so it's kind of interesting where, you know, we have this lead up to Rosh Hashanah, right? We, we get up early in the morning, comes a week before Rosh Hashanah to, to, to beseech God to give us a happy, sweet new year. Yom Kippur, which is day we're sealed in the book of life or death. That's definitely a day where we beg for forgiveness and we say all the confessions. But when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, we kind of largely ignore that, even though Rosh Hashanah is the day we're written. You know, isn't it better if we were to like pray really hard on Rosh Hashanah, to, you know, for, you know, for forgiveness, that way we get written in the book of life instead of having to like reverse it on Yom Kippur. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like we're, we're playing catch up after Rosh Hashanah is over. We suddenly wake up, oh my God, we got to ask for forgiveness, right? Um, so, so what is it? Is Rosh Hashanah a happy day or is it really a sad day? And the answer is that we have to, if we take a Kabbalistic look at it, um, then I think we'll have our answer. The Kabbalah tells us a very, very interesting thing. It says like this. We know Adam and Eve, they, they proclaimed God as king in the first year of Rosh Hashanah. So it says when God created the world, he created the world before anybody was there. So that means he created it out of his kindness. But at some point he said, I don't want to just create this world and be a king just because I like to. I want to be wanted, okay? It's like your children, right? 
Uh, you start to raise your children when they're young, you do everything for them. They don't have to do anything back for you. But as they start to get older, and as they can understand a little bit more, you're like, you know, I'll do things for you, but you have to start giving back. You have to show me there's a relationship over here. Of course, a parent will always take care of their child no matter what. But at the end of the day, we try and have a relationship. And so God says the same thing. He says, I, I don't just want to give and give and give. I want a relationship with you. It started with Adam and Eve on the first day of Rosh Hashanah proclaiming God as king. And uh, when the Jews were given to Mount Sinai, God said, just as at Mount Sinai, you said, you want, to, you want me to be your king, you know, Nasev and Ishmael, we will do what God wants. Um, I will only agree to continue creating this world if you want me. And so it says, God, so to speak, gives a lease of life to the world every single year. What does that mean? Every year, Rosh Hashanah, God gives a lease to the world. He gives 365 days, of course, the Jewish calendar to be different every year. I think this year is 384 days this year, this coming year. The Jewish calendar, three days, four days, right? So God, so to speak, gives a lease. Every single year, he creates the world, Rosh Hashanah. And he says, I'm going to be your king. I'm going to be your king. I'm going to create this world. And, but the energy I'm putting in this world is only going to last one year. After a year, you're going to have to make me want it again. Okay? So every year, we have, a re we, we have to, so to speak, come back to God and say, please be king over us again. In fact, discuss, and, and when does the ultimate coronation of God happen? It says it happens at the blowing of the shofar. That's one of the significance of the blowing of the shofar. Just as when you coronate a king, you blow trumpets, right? So when we coronate God, we blow a shofar. So God, God does not want to be a dictator. God wants to be a king. What's the difference between a dictator and a king? A dictator says, I want to rule over you. I want you to, I want you, I want to give you 613 commandments. I want you to do them all. Otherwise, I'll strike you with lightning. That would be God being a dictator. God does not want to be a dictator. God wants to be a king, a true king. Okay, unfortunately, in our history, we have a lot of not real kings, but a real proper king. And, you know, let's, let's take leaders for a moment. A real leader is somebody who doesn't want to be a leader, right? In other words, the problem with, Lots of our leaders is that they want to be leaders. They just, you know, they want to be in a position of power. The best leaders are the ones who don't want to be leaders. The one we come to and say, please, you're the best person for the job. We want you to lead us. Those are always the best leaders. They're not dictators. They're not in it for themselves. They're in it for the people. And a real king, a real king is in it for the people. When, when the Jewish people wanted a king for the first time, when they had King Saul, King David, King Saul and King David were not doing it because they wanted to be kings. They were doing it because they wanted to lead the people. They wanted to help the people. The people came to King Saul and said, please be a king over us. He said, okay, I'll do it. And so similarly, when God comes to us, he does not want to be a dictator. God wants to be a king. And a proper king is someone who we ask him and we beg him to be king. And that is really when you look in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, um, a lot of that is about coronating God as king. And just as when you coronate a king as king, it's a joyous time, right? It's a celebration. Rosh Hashanah is, is going to be a celebration of God being proclaimed as king. So yes, at the same time that it's a time of judgment, because God is judging us, does he want to be the king or not to be the king? Uh, there has to be a lot of celebration because at the end of the day, we're proclaiming him as king. And if we were to focus too much on the confession, too much on the forgiveness, too much on the sadness, um, 
that would not be in the spirit of the main event that happens in Rosh Hashanah, and that is proclaiming God as king. Um, so is there a concept of repentance from Rosh Hashanah? Yes. Is there a concept of becoming better people? Yes. But that is why we actually spend so much time before Rosh Hashanah preparing for the day. There's a whole month. The month of Elul is a month of preparation. Uh, we're supposed to prepare for Rosh Hashanah. One of the reasons we blow the shofar during the month of Elul, it says the shofar is part of the meaning of the shofar is proclaiming God as king. Another part of it, it's, it's supposed to awaken you. It's supposed to be a feeling of crying. Uh, and the mean, one of the meanings of the shofar is, 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 is crying. It's, it's, it's to evoke in us feelings to re return to God. Who hears the shofar and doesn't awaken deep feelings? And so that's really um, the idea of Rosh Hashanah. Now, to just explain one more point over here. When you have a relationship that needs to be repaired, there are two aspects to it. There are two levels that it needs to be repaired on. So let's say you had a relationship. It wasn't good till now. You want to repair it. There are two things that need to be repaired. One thing is the person you have the relationship with needs to know that going forward, you're going to be a better person. That's one aspect and concept of repairing the relationship. And there's a second aspect, which is you need to figure out how do we deal with the past? So again, you need to make sure to the future, you're gonna be a better person. And to the past, you need to deal with the past. When we look in Jewish sources at the mitzvah of teshuva, the mitzvah of repentance, the mitzvah of returning to God, it actually says the main idea of repentance and returning to God is actually a focus on the future, not on the past. The main returning to God is basically saying, I'm back. I am committing myself to make this relationship better. A focus on the future, so to speak, saying whatever happened in the past, I don't know, but going forward, I'm going to be the better. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to make that relationship better. And so that's the teshuva that we focus on Rosh Hashanah. And that's why it's not so sad. When you're focusing on the future, there's not a lot of sadness there. There's not a lot of confession over there. Confession is about the past. You're not focusing on how bad you were. On Rosh Hashanah, we focus on how good we're going to be in the future because we're trying to ask God, please be king over us. In the future, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to become a better person. I'm going to make sure I show up and show at least once a year. No, okay, once a month, uh, once a week, uh, once a day. Um, in other words, the, <laughs> Rosh Hashanah is very focused on the future. Yom Kippur is all about, all right, we have the relationship. God, you've agreed to this relationship. Now let's deal with the past. Now let's try and fix up what went on in the past. Now let's try and um, make sure that all of that is doing better. And so again, this really explains all the things we said about Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the day of creation. Rosh Hashanah is the day we coordinate God as king. Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. But mostly the judgment of Rosh Hashanah is does God want to continue this relationship? You're going to be written the book of life. It comes to Yom Kippur, you're going to want to ask forgiveness. So, you know, he might be, write you in the book of life, but there might be some consequences along the way for your past actions. So as it comes Yom Kippur, you need to uh, fix some things up. We need to fix some things up. But ultimately, um, we start off focusing on the future of the relationship. 
And again, that's what I said. It says, it says in Teshuvah, the main thing in repentance to God, it says, Aziva sachet tovad. The first thing you need to do is to let go of the past. I'll give you an example. <laughs> Somebody's been eating not healthy for a long time. The first thing they need to do is not focus on how bad they were eating till now. They need to focus on how they're going to be eating healthier in the future. And then maybe once they, you know, start eating healthy, then they can figure out how to fix up how they messed up their body in the past, right? Uh, but you, you got to first get on track, and then you can deal with all the issues you had in the past, right? That's 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 the idea. You got to get on track, then you can deal with things from the past. Any questions or comments? Either was very clear or very unclear. <laughs> you can even put in the chat if you have any questions or comments, or if this any thoughts of how this changes the way you look at uh, Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. To me, it answers the very, you know, the very interesting question, which is, you know, how we kind of reconcile these two ideas of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where at the one hand, it's, it's kind of the day of judgment, where at the same time, it's mostly a joyous day, and there's very little forgiveness being asked for in there. And this is the answer. The answer is Rosh Hashanah is a focus about our future relationship. And really, I want you to think about that when you go to synagogue this year, on Rosh Hashanah, don't focus too much on the sadness of where you were, that's something you can focus about before Rosh Hashanah, after Rosh Hashanah, but just like the new year, you make new year's resolutions. That's really what Rosh Hashanah is about, making the resolution for the new year on Rosh Hashanah. How is my life going to be different? How am I going to change my life? How am I going to make sure that my connection with God is not one, two, three days a year, right? What they call a revolving door to you. A revolving door to you is a Jew who walks in a Rosh Hashanah and exits in Yom Kippur. You want to make sure that we're not a revolving door to you. This is a relationship that continues the whole year. And so when you celebrate and sit down at the meal in Rosh Hashanah, it's joyous. And you're thinking, well, it's joyous, but we're being written in the book of life. Like, how, how does this work? And think about we're celebrating the fact that this coming year is going to be a great year in which I'm going to have a wonderful relationship with God. And so you dip the apple in the honey. It's going to be a year of sweetness. Uh, not just physically. Again, if we if we take the holidays and, and focus on God, please, I, 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 I need money and I need a car and I need health and I need this. Focus on that relationship with God and, and God will, will give you the health and the money that you need to continue with that relationship. That's really what it's about. When we ask God for physical goodies, we're not asking him just because I want them. We ask him because uh, we say we want to do your mission on this earth and it would be very helpful to do that mission if I could be healthy and happy and safe and secure and whatnot. And any thought, any questions or comments before I move on to the next to the next point? Nope. It's all all clear. Uh, Kate and Katori, even you don't have a question? Nothing? I don't not yet. Not yet. Okay. I'm just, I'm just soaking it all in. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Believe me, I'm sure there'll be time for plenty of my questions. <laughs> be careful um, what you ask for. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're right. I should be careful what I ask for. Okay. So I want to mention one more interesting thing about Rosh Hashanah. Um, what does Rosh Hashanah mean? Head of the year? Huh? Head. Head of the year? Head of the year, right? Head of the year. I'm sure you've heard this question many times. 
Head of the year is a very strange thing. You ever heard anybody call January 1st? Oh, I'm going to head, head of the year celebration tonight, right? <laughs> anybody wants to join me? And you're like, head of the year? Where's, where, where, what's, go, what's going on at this party? You know, what's, what's, what's happening over there? And uh, so it's kind of strange that, that Russia is called head of the year. But actually, it's not just Russia that's called head of the year, um, but also every new month, um, in Judaism is also called the head of the month. It's called Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh means the head of the month. So what's up with Judaism and, and dates being called the head and not the beginning, right? It should be called New Year or beginning of the year. We don't call it uh, Shana Chadasha or Tchilat Shana, New Year, or beginning of the year. We call it Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. So anybody knows the answer? I'm sure you've heard before. I must have told you. Anybody knows the answer? Why is it called Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, not Tchilat Hashanah, the beginning of the year. Rabbi, in uh, when in text, in computer text and everything, the first line describing everything uh, is the head, the header. They call it the header. header. Ah, very good. Great example. Okay. The first line is a header. So Rosh Hashanah, like you said, the first line that really contains the general ideas of what's going to go on is called the header. Roshan is the header of the year. What does that mean? Like a head. A head really has all of the control over the whole body. It's in one, it's, the head is in one place, but really it controls the whole body. It says Rosh Hashanah really contains the whole year in it. Everything that's going to happen in the year is contained in Rosh Hashanah. The blessings you get in Rosh Hashanah are going to be there for the whole year. It says whatever is decided in Rosh Hashanah, let's say it's decided you're going to make $200,000, that's what you're going to make in the whole year. Whatever is that, so Rosh Hashanah really contains the upcoming year ahead. However, it comes down slowly throughout the year. It trickles out through the 384 days, which it is this year, 384 or 385, I don't remember. But um, Rosh Hashanah contains everything that's going to happen in the rest of the year. And so that's what's called the head and not the beginning. Beginning would just mean it's day number one, and then there's day number two, and then there's day number three, and day number four. But uh, Rosh Hashanah is not just the first day, but it is the head. It, it will contain everything that you will have the rest of the year. And that's why celebrating Rosh Hashanah is so important because it contains the blessings and really uh, contains everything that will be in your year very much like that header. Uh, it has everything that you're going to need within it. So the question, which I'm, I preempted already, but the question people ask, well, if everything's preordained in Rosh Hashanah, so why do I need to pray any other day of the year? Right. If it's been decided in Rosh Hashanah, I'm going to make two hundred thousand dollars, or three hundred thousand dollars, or if it's been decided in Rosh Hashanah, how healthy I'm going to be? <laughs> what does it help to pray the rest of the year? What's it going to do? It's already been decided. So um, the answer is that although it's been decided, it says Adam Nidon Bechol Yom. A person is judged every single day. What that means is. Every day, you're, you're still judged if those packets of energy will come down. In other words, uh, when it's decided Rosh Hashanah, you'll get, let's say, $300,000. That blessing can come to you in many different avenues. And one of those avenues can be spiritual. It means you won't get the actual money. Um, you, know, you get it somehow spiritually. I don't know exactly where the spiritual bank account is. But uh, the idea is that if you want the blessings that you had in Rosh Hashanah to come down to you, you need to pray to bring it down. Prayer, one of the ideas of prayer or blessing actually means to blessing means to draw down and so the idea is that in order to draw down uh the blessing that you have from rosh hashanah you need to pray every single day 
And so it's not enough to pray once a year. We need to pray all the time. Um, as an aside, um, kind of related, but not actually, you know, it's, it's totally not related. It's just an interesting thing I heard, but it's totally not related. Okay. Um, so that is Rosh Hashanah. Now let's move on to a little bit of Hmm. Let's move on to a little bit of some of the practices and then a little bit of meaning behind it. So hopefully now you have a little bit more of understanding of the meaning of Rosh Hashanah. And again, to really sum it up, Rosh Hashanah is the day we proclaim God as king. Rosh Hashanah is the day we and the world are judged that God wants to be king over us. But it's a happy day because we're very much focusing on our future relationship with God. It's not so much a day on the past. Yes, we are judged, but when God sees how much we are willing to be better people, uh, that gives us a good judgment. That still doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare before Rosh Hashanah and do repentance and Yom Kippur. We're going to have to deal with the past also because Yom Kippur is a day of forgiveness, but um, we do focus very much on the future. Okay. So Rosh Hashanah, as we understand now, is a very powerful day. It's a day that really um, encompasses the whole year. And so we want to make sure we walk into the day of Rosh Hashanah prepared. And a lot of people, when they come to holidays, they, they just, you know, they, they think of the holiday, the, like the holiday is the special day. But in, in Judaism, very often, the day right before the holiday is, is also a very powerful day. It's, not just, it, it's a day that, that is not just the day of preparation, but in a sense, it also has a certain level of holiness. It's called Erev. In, in, in Hebrew, we call it Erev, the Eve. So like the day before Rosh Hashanah is called Erev Rosh Hashanah, the Eve of Rosh Hashanah. The day before Yom Kippur is called Erev Yom Kippur. Arab Sukkot, all of these. Um, and the reason is because they, they actually have a lot of power. The preparation is very much connected to the holiday. Uh, just like, I'll give you an example. You cannot celebrate Shabbat if you don't prepare before Shabbat. It's impossible. You need, a, you need to cook some food, right? Just from a very physical standpoint. So you cannot celebrate Rosh Hashanah if you don't cook the brisket the day before. You cannot, you cannot wear nice clothing if you didn't buy it or take it to the cleaners. Spiritually also, if you want to walk into Rosh Hashanah spiritually prepared, you have to have a moment of preparation. You, you have to take your spiritual shower. You have to be ready to walk in. So if, you're, if you want to be written in the book of life, you got to think about what are you walking into Rosh Hashanah with, you know? You're going to walk into Rosh Hashanah with, night, with a proper attire, obviously. You're going to walk into Rosh Hashanah with a brisket cooking. You're going to walk into Rosh Hashanah with, a, with the... Um, with the apples and honey, but what spiritual thing am I walking into Rosh Hashanah with? And so the first thing we can walk into Rosh Hashanah with, and, and the day before Rosh Hashanah is a good day to think about these, is the three pillars. There are three pillars in Judaism, three pillars of Jewish practice. Who knows what the three pillars of Jewish practice are? If you only know one, you could say three pillars of Jewish practice. Mitzvahs. Mitzvahs, okay. That's one. Okay, what else? Torah. Torah, two. Okay, what's the third one? Um, tshuva. No, tshuva. not tshuva, no. Torah, yes. Mitzvahs and? Prayer. Some, prayer, very good. All right. Yeah. Okay. 
Torah, Tefillah, and the third one is something that's called Tzedakah, Charity, but Charity really encompasses all good deeds. Um, those are really all, the, those are the three pillars that the chapter, the ethics of our fathers says that these are the three pillars that hold up the world. These are really the three pillars of Jewish practice. The study of Torah, prayer, and doing good deeds. We need all three of them. You know, I was talking to somebody recently and he was telling me why he doesn't come to synagogue. He's very Jewishly involved. He, you know, at home, he does the mitzvahs and he, he likes to study. But I told him, you've got two of the three pillars. You need to have the third pillar. Like, you, you know, maybe you didn't connect to prayer yet, but we're supposed to really have these three pillars. Study is great. Mitzvahs are great. Uh, prayer is great. But you shouldn't have one without the other. We need all three, right? So like just in our life, sleeping is important. Eating is important. Those are pillars of life and breathing is important, okay? Uh, you wanna you, uh, you have all three, right, in your life. You wanna have all three pillars. So in our Jewish life, we need to make sure we, we have all three. We may prefer one over the other 100%, that's okay. And some people's mission in life is one more than the other. But we wanna make sure we have all three. And so as it comes to Rosh Hashanah, or we, we wanna try and strengthen those three things. So it says on the, the, the day before Rosh Hashanah, it says we pray, uh, we should try and pray with a little bit more kavanah, a little bit more intention. We should try and study a little bit and, and, and strengthen our thoughts of how we're gonna study in the future year. And of course, give, give charity, that's the mitzvahs, uh, because especially as we know, you cannot give charity, you cannot give uh, money on the day of Rosh Hashanah itself. So you wanna give the charity on the eve of Rosh Hashanah. Another thing people do before Rosh Hashanah, so uh, is they ask for forgiveness. Um, it's a good thing as it comes a new year, why? Because it says that um, anything you, uh, um, God can forgive you for sins that you've done to him, but God can't forgive you for sins you've done to other people unless you ask them for forgiveness. Uh, you need to go to those people and ask them. So if you've wronged anybody during the year, uh, make sure you go to the people, go to other people and ask them, uh, for the forgiveness. Um, it's become kind of a custom where people just walk over to every random uh, Joe and say, you forgive me, you forgive me, you forgive me, you forgive me, but that's eh, not really asking for forgiveness. You know, I think even people put up billboard signs in some communities, if I ever wrong you, please forgive me. And I, like, what does that do? You know, I don't know. If uh, you know, if, if you really wrong somebody, you put up a billboard, they're not forgiving you, right? You gotta, you gotta go ask for forgiveness. So, um, of course, it's not a bad idea. You know, it's possible some people harbor, you could have inadvertently offended people. It's not a bad idea to ask people, you know, if I did anything to you, please do you forgive me? Yes. Um, but if definitely, if you know somebody you did something wrong to, a uh, great idea to um, ask for forgiveness. Another interesting custom of the, the day before Rosh Hashanah, uh, all the Chabad Rebbe's, it says they would spend time with their spouse on the day before Rosh Hashanah. You say, like, day before Rosh Hashanah, the spiritual day, getting ready for the Ha, the Ha, the Ha, the, 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 you know, the holiest, one of the holiest days of the year, spending time with their wife. And, and of course, um, that's the best idea is, uh, they wanted to point out that we should never get too caught up in our spirituality where we forget the people around us and, uh, shalom by it, peace in the home is of utmost importance. And unfortunately it happens many times before a holiday, we're so busy in the house and we could get, uh, tempers can run high because we're in a rush and there's a crunch time. And we always want to make sure that, uh, everybody is happy that it's, that the holiday is here, right? We, we don't want our kids growing up thinking, or our families growing up thinking a holiday is a stressful time. There is stress, but you want to present the joy of it. You want to present the happiness of it. Um, 
try not to snap at people, even if you're running under a lot of pressure, um, because that's not really the point of the holidays. It's, it's a lot of pressure, but the idea is we should enter it in a happy manner. Um, another couple interesting things we do in the Eve of Rosh Hashanah, it says we annul our vows. We know that we do this on the Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre is about annulling our vows. But uh, what does it mean, annulling our vows? It doesn't mean that we're not married anymore. I don't think this is a Jewish thing, annulling our vows. But um, annulling our vows means that um, if you promise, in Judaism, it's very serious when you promise to do something, or you take a vow, you say, I promise this thing, or even if you do something without making a promise, but it was kind of a promise, um, and it can be problematic if you enter in the holiday and you, you're not keeping your promises. And so therefore, we sit on Rosh Hashanah before Rosh Hashanah, and if you come to Shul, if you come to the prayer before Rosh Hashanah, in the Shacharis in the morning, after the services, where we sit around and we null each other's vows. The actual process of annulling a vow, the basic idea behind it is basically saying, if I had known uh, how difficult it was to keep, I wouldn't have done it, right? In other words, you're not, you're not, regretting the act, the good deeds that you're doing. You know, let's say it's even something good. Let's say you, you accept upon yourself, you know what, every day I'm going to study at six o'clock in the morning. And so most days you do, but not every day. You want to annul that vow because don't make a vow about it. In Judaism, we always say, bleen that there. I don't want to make a vow. We don't like to make vows in Judaism because if you make a vow, it's very serious. And so the, there's a process of annulling our vows. But there's another interesting thing we're going to do. And I want to focus on that because that's whatever, it's not so important, but I want to focus on, it is important, but um, I want to focus on something interesting we do specifically this year. So does anybody know what is unique about this upcoming year in the land of Israel? Is it Jubilee? Not a Jubilee, close. Nope. We don't celebrate Jubilees anymore. Shemitah? Shemitah, yes, yes, Shemitah year. A Shemitah year. So just as there's a Shabbat, a day of rest, every seven days, in the land of Israel, there's a year called a Shemitah year, a day of rest for the whole land. The land is not to be worked um, in the seventh year. So every every seven years is called a Shemitah year. And so this year, uh, the farmers in Israel will not be working the earth. But you have to let it grow naturally. It's called a Shemitah year. You look in the Torah, it talks about Shemitah. One of the laws that applies on Shemitah to Jews living everywhere is that loans are forgiven. In the year of Shemitah, all loans are forgiven. So uh, if you lend me money tomorrow, you give me $100,000 as a loan. Um, when it comes three weeks from now, I will not owe you that loan, according to Jewish law. <laughs> if you lend me money now, which I, I, I'm advising everybody to lend me money uh, right now, um, in a couple weeks from now, you will not owe, I will not owe you any money, according to Jewish law. When it comes to Shemitah year, all loans between fellow Jews are forgiven. Now, it's a great thing. However, many, many years ago, about 2,000 years ago, Rabbi Hillel, maybe more than 2,000 years, uh, 2,200, I don't remember exactly. Rabbi Hillel, the great Rabbi Hillel, we eat his sandwich every year, he realized that Jews were not lending to each other. They stopped lending to each other because uh, they, <laughs> they didn't want to lend the money and not get it back. <laughs> and so Rabbi Hillel realized that he's going to have to do something about it. So he came up the rabbis are great at this. He came up with a nice loophole so that uh, loans will not be forgiven. What was his loophole? The loophole is called a prusbol. And what that means is, is that although a loan between one person to another is forgiven on Rosh Hashanah, uh, on a Shemitah year, 
loans from the public to the private are not forgiven. So let's say you were to borrow money from the synagogue, even in a Shemitah year, you would still owe that money. So again, loans are only forgiven between private individuals, not between the public. And so a perusable is basically where you say all the loans, all the money that people owe me, I am making it a public loan. That's pretty much what you're doing. And so this year before Rosh Hashanah, uh, you're supposed to sit around people and you're supposed to say a line that says, I hereby give over all of my uh, loans to you, in other words, to the public, so that I can collect them whenever I want. Um, and so it's called a prusbal. If you do lend anybody money, very important that you do this uh, little thing. If you come to the synagogue, we'll be doing it there. So don't worry about it. Um, but you might be able to find a line. It's called a prusbal, P-R-U-Z-B-U-L. Very, very interesting thing. Um, I just do want to mention, some people have a custom that even though they do the prusbal, they want to fulfill the mitzvah of not asking for money back. So some people, after they do the prusbal, they lend somebody a dollar just so that when the year of Shemitah comes, they will not ask for it back. Uh, just to, so to speak, have the opportunity to fill the mitzvah of lending money and not asking for it back. So it's just an interesting, uh, very, very interesting thing. Um, that's one special thing for this year. Another special thing about Rosh Hashanah, uh, the eve of Rosh Hashanah, we do not blow the shofar on the eve of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, there's many, many different reasons why we don't blow the shofar. So again, we blow the shofar every single day this month, except for right before Rosh Hashanah. Some say it's to celebrate, it's to make a separation between what is custom and what is law. So blowing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is law, blowing the shofar on Elul is custom. Some say um, it's to confuse Satan. Uh, the Satan is, uh, he, he's waiting for Rosh Hashanah to trip us all up. He comes to the, he comes to the heavenly court with bags of sins. And so if we don't blow the shofar for a day, we might confuse him and hopefully confuse him that uh, he thought Rosh Hashanah may have passed and he missed his day. Uh, I've discussed many times in sermons like, like Satan really hasn't learned these tricks. Like we've been doing this for a couple thousand years. He hasn't realized like we're trying to trick him every year. Um, I'm not gonna get into the answer now because it's not so important, but uh, for, for today's discussion, but just an interesting thing. I want to discuss another very important custom that we do before Shana. Many people do this. You may have heard it. It's called visiting the cemetery. Anybody has, uh, has done this custom or seen this custom? Visiting a cemetery before Rosh Hashanah? No? Um, I know a lot of people go to visit their loved ones right before Rosh Hashanah. Um, it is a very ancient Jewish custom to go to the cemetery before Rosh Hashanah. Obviously, you could say from a very simple perspective, it, it, it puts you in a proper frame of mind, uh, thinking, you know, when you think about the hereafter, it, it puts you in a proper frame of mind. But there's also the idea that we want our loved ones to pray for us. So, you know, um, you know, they tell a joke. There's a famous Chabad. Well, they don't tell a joke. This is a real story. There's a famous Chabad Chassid called Rabbi Shmuel Munkis. He was known for making lots of uh, jokes, serious jokes, but jokes nonetheless. And so one time he was visiting a town and in that town, there's one of these called uh, um, traveling preachers. There was a traveling preacher. So there was a traveling preacher that week in the synagogue. And he was in the synagogue screaming at all the people in the synagogue and telling them how bad they are and all the terrible sins they've done and how they have to return to God. And these preachers would do this and people would listen and they would cry and they would pay him a nice sum of money. So Rabbi Shmuel Munkus, who was of the Chabad group, he didn't like this, this style. And uh, it's not a very Chabad style to scream at people and then put them down. 
So uh, we like to uplift people. So uh, that that night, as uh, this this preacher was sleeping, uh, Rabbi Shmuel Milkes comes into the house where he's sleeping, and he takes a knife and a knife sharpener and starting to sharpen a knife. And the 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 preacher hears the commotion. He comes out to the living room and he looks at him and says, uh, "Oh, nice to see you, uh, Rabbi Milkes. Uh, what are you doing over here?" He says, "Oh, I'm I'm sharpening a knife." He says, uh, why are you sharpening a knife in the middle of the night? I mean, you're not slaughtering any cows, are you? He's like, no, right, I'll tell you the truth. He says, the truth is that uh, we live here in this little town in the middle of nowhere. And uh, every year before Rosh Hashanah, uh, we have to go pray at a gravesite. Uh, but there's nothing close. So we have to travel a few days to get to a gravesite of somebody holy. You know, then all the people from here are the locals that are buried here. And you've met the locals, us locals. We're not so holy, right? So uh, we were thinking, we decided, I met with the committee and we decided, you know, we don't have anybody very holy buried here. And we thought that, you know, if you're already here, uh, you might be a great person to be buried in the town so that we don't have to travel so far before Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> so the Magan looks at him and says, what? He says, yeah, we, I mean, it's, it's not so, I mean, look, the knife is very sharp. It'll be painless, but... I mean, we're just going to bury you here in this town. So we'll have a tzaddik. We'll have somebody holy like you buried in this town. So the preacher starts to tell me, says, well, you know, I'm not so holy. One time I missed the morning prayers. Ah, he says, Rabbi Monk, he says, ah, that, that, that's, 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 that's still way more holy than all of us. I mean, this is, come on, you're still great. So the, the, the preacher could say, well, you know, one time I, I, one time I forgot to put in the film. Ah, no, no, you're still so holy. One time, eventually, this preacher comes and fesses up to tons and tons of sins that he's done in his life till eventually Rabbi Shmuel looks at him and says, you charlatan, you fake, you come here and scream at everybody and these are all the sins you do, go get out of this town. Nobody needs you here. <laughs> Anyways, it's a real story. Uh, he had his way of, uh, he had his way of uh, presenting his ideas. That was kind of his way. So, um, um, it reminds me, there's the other story of Rabbi Monkes. He was one time, uh, he was one time hanging upside down outside the, the door of his Rebbe. And uh, somebody here says, Rabbi Monkes, what are you doing hanging upside down outside the door of your Rebbe? He says, listen, when you go to the shoe store, they have shoes hanging outside. When you go to the uh, uh, shirt store, they have shirts hanging outside. I figured they have to have, if you're outside a Rebbe's home, what should be hanging but a chassid? You have to have a chassid hanging, you know, hanging in front of the, in, in front of the house. Anyways, that was Rabbi Shimon Lucas. But anyway, the point is that uh, many people go to the graveyard uh, before Rosh Hashanah um, to pray for forgiveness. So if you haven't been to a cemetery, you haven't, just wanted to go over a little bit in Judaism, uh, what we do when we go to a gravesite. Um, the first thing is there's a special blessing that is said if you go to a gravesite, if you have not been to a cemetery within 30 days. If you have not been to a cemetery within 30 days, there is a special blessing to be said. If you don't have it, you can, I'm sure you can find it in the Chabad or you can ask me. Uh, many people, they come there, they give charity. Another important thing is the respect we show in a graveyard. Uh, I'm sorry, I should say uh, cemetery sounds nicer. In a cemetery, there, there's, there's um, a certain level of respect. The first level of respect is actually we, we don't do any mitzvahs besides for charity. You don't do any mitzvahs in a cemetery. So for example, if you wear tzitzit, you tuck them in because, or you wouldn't put on tefillin in a cemetery. Why? It says that in a cemetery, um, the people that have passed, they cannot do any more mitzvahs. 
And so it's kind of like laughing at them if you're going to be wearing tefillin or tzitzis or whatever. It's kind of like laughing at them, saying, ha ha, look at what I can do and you can't do it. So similarly, obviously, you shouldn't be eating in a cemetery. It's also not nice. They can't eat. But also from a Jewish perspective, you're going to make a blessing over it. They can't make blessings. And we also, to be careful, we, we recognize and appreciate that those who have passed are still present to a certain extent in their graves. And so we don't just gather at a cemetery and just talk about anything. You want to talk about anything, you step outside. Um, we respect the time that we're there. If we're there, we might be pulling them away from something important to spend time with us. Make sure that the time that we spend with our loved ones over there is quality time. Uh, many people have a custom to light a candle uh, at a gravesite. I don't know exactly how they do it here. I know in uh, New York, they, they sell like these little tin cans that are protected from the rain that can sit over graves. Maybe you can light one at home. Uh, a lot of people say the book of Psalms. Uh, many people put a rock on top of the tombstone. Uh, many people have a custom to touch the tombstone with their left hand. Um, also, it's customary to circle the tombstone at some point. Um, and finally, when you leave the cemetery, um, make sure you wash your hands because there's a certain level of impurity that comes when you visit a, uh, a cemetery. But either way, if you have the opportunity, you have some somebody you know that's buried here or somebody holding, um, it would be a good thing to visit them at least in the days leading up to Rosh Hashanah uh, before the new year. That is uh, very much customary. Um, there are other things we could say about the preparation for Rosh Hashanah, but I think... I will um, leave it at that. I'm going to move on to the actual night of Rosh Hashanah, the Eve of Rosh Hashanah, some of the customs we do rituals and why we do them. The first thing we do at, on the Eve of Rosh Hashanah is we light candles, just as we light every single holiday. Uh, there are two blessings to be said on the candles. Uh, there's the one blessing, the, the regular holiday blessing, and there's the Shehechianu. Um, if you light candles, you say the Shachiyano. Then if, you, if you're somebody who's not lighting candles, you say the Shachiyano at the Kiddush. Um, on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we have a new fruit just in case we um, cannot, uh, just in case you're not supposed to say Shachiyano the second day. I do want to point to something interesting. Um, a lot of people in America, or some of the Israelis, they seem to celebrate one day of Rosh Hashanah. What they don't realize is that although many, many holidays in Israel are only a one-day holiday, Rosh Hashanah, even in Israel, is celebrated as a two-day holiday. Um, and there's historical background to it, and it's a, not for now. But again, even although many of the holidays they celebrate only one day in Israel, Rosh Hashanah, even in Israel, is a two-day holiday. Um, so again, just important. Um, you want to make sure for the second night of Rosh Hashanah, you have a new fruit. When I say a new fruit, a fruit you haven't eaten since it was last in season. So it could be a dragon fruit, whatever it is, something odd, exotic, something you don't normally eat. Um, buy yourself a new fruit so that you can eat the second night of Rosh Hashanah. On the first night of Rosh Hashanah, after the Mar of services, after the evening services, we give each other special greetings. Lashana uh, Tova, may you be written and sealed in the book of life. It's interesting that already by the next day, we tell people, Gemar may you be sealed in the book of life. So our understanding is that we are all written in the book of life. In other words, we're written already starting in the first night and, and morning until the blowing of the shofar. And so already by the second night, we're already saying, Gemar may you be sealed in the book of life. So now, already now, for now, we tell people, may you be written and sealed in the book of life. 
but already from halfway through Rosh Hashanah, this, uh, halfway through the first day, we start to tell people, Gemar Chatimatava, may you be sealed in the Book of Life. Just pointing out something interesting, how we change, um, because we believe we're being written already in the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. Um, there's a lot of symbolic foods we eat on Rosh Hashanah. Anybody knows any of the symbolic foods that we eat on Rosh Hashanah? Pomegranates. Pomegranates. Why pomegranates? Um, I believe, oh gosh, I believe it has to do with, oh, I forget. Anybody, anybody else? Why pomegranates? Was it, didn't it have to do with God uh, uh, saying to Abraham that his descendants would be his as numerous as the stars? Oh, oh, okay. Any, any, anybody knows why we eat pomegranates? Nobody? Because they taste good? The number of seeds. Number of seeds. Okay, what about the seeds? Isn't there supposed to be uh, 613? Right, okay, yeah. So a lot of people, I've heard that a lot. There's supposed to be 613 seeds. I don't know if there is actually 613 seeds. Probably if you count it, you won't find that many. Uh, but the real idea is that we should have as many good deeds as there are seeds. And those, we should have lots of good deeds, just like there are lots of seeds. But yeah, I used to say for many years, it's, there's 613 seeds. But uh, looking at the sources, I don't, I don't actually think it says it anywhere. I think it's kind of developed that way. Okay, uh, any other fruits we eat in Rosh Hashanah? And if you know the meaning, you get double points over here. Honey, so you have a sweet year. Honey, so you have a sweet year. And what do you eat with the honey? Apples. Apples, right? And apples are also sweet. So make sure you're buying the sweet apples. Don't buy the green apples. You're not supposed to eat, you're actually not supposed to eat sour fruits in Rosh Hashanah. Uh, it's interesting, but again, just as we said earlier, Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year. You want it to, so to speak, be a precursor for the year, contain the future year. You don't want to eat sour foods on Rosh Hashanah. So if you like sour sticks, stick away from them, okay? Just stay away from them. You like sour food, please stay away from them. Make everything sweet. It says spicy, you can eat spicy. You have a spicy year. It's not a bad thing, I guess, but sour, you don't have a sour year. Um, is it, isn't there a minhug? Uh, it's not a law, but a minhug that uh, you don't eat nuts on Rosh Hashanah because yes. they have the numerical, the word nuts has the same numerical value as sin. Very good. Right? Yeah. Many people don't yeah. eat nuts on Rosh Hashanah because it has a numerical value of the word sin, which is 17. Now, I just want to point out something interesting. Egos has a numerical value of 17, which has, which has the same numerical value as the word sin. So nuts has the same value as the word sin. But what's interesting is that 17 also is the numerical value of the word tov, which is good. So, so maybe I should eat nuts because that's the numerical value of good. So I don't know why. It's just interesting to me. But it also says we don't eat nuts because it says it, it adds too much saliva, which is not going to be good when you're trying to pray. But yeah, it does say because it adds sin. So I don't know. Just interesting thing. Anything else we eat in Rosh Hashanah? Any other symbolic foods? Fish head. A fish head. Why a fish head? Head, head of the year. Head of the year. Yeah, and it says we want to be we want to be ahead. We don't want to be a tail in life. We want to be ahead in life. Yep. Okay. And, and the round challahs. The, the round challahs are good. Why a round challah? I forget. <laughs> I mean, probably because it's symbolic of a year, so it's so it's round, right? Many people put raisins in the challah. Uh, because raisins are sweet. Many people also dip the challah in honey. 
Um, any other things, you know, that we eat on Rosh Hashanah? Some people eat the fish eyes so that they won't have an evil eye. Um, all right, so, so there are other foods that people eat that are not customary for everybody. I'm gonna throw it up here on the screen. A couple interesting ones. So this is just a little paper I have. Um, so here it says, for example, when we um, eat the, the fruit, uh, when we eat the apple and honey, we're supposed to say this line, may be well Hashem, our God and God of our fathers, that you renew us for good and sweet year. Just to have a sweet year. Um, pomegranate, when we eat the pomegranate, we say, may be well Hashem, our God and God of our fathers, that our merits increase is the seeds of a pomegranate. Then some people eat dates. Uh, so that they should get a good date. No, I'm kidding. Um, they, they eat dates. It says, because may be well Hashem, our God and God of our fathers, that our enemies be wiped out. That has to do with the word tamu. Tamar, in Hebrew, tough memrace, is Hebrew for dates. And so it has tamu, it has kind of the same root word as destroy. So it means all our enemies to be destroyed. Um, then we have uh, beets. Some people have the custom to eat beets. Why? Because... Uh, again, stalku, sel, salak, is, is the root word of word beats. And it would mean, may Hashem, God of our fathers, that our enemies be removed. Uh, some people have eat, eat carrots, uh, because carrots in Hebrew is merin, and merin means to add. So we want that we should have a lot of good deeds. Uh, some people eat gourds, um, because it has from the root word of gezer, which means gazar dinenu, to tear our uh, our decrees. So we ask God to tear our decrees that are against us. Some people eat leeks because again, the Hebrew word, Hebrew word shares the root of to be destroyed. So we ask that our enemies be destroyed. And finally, um, you have the head and not the tail. And when people eat the fish, they say two things, or you have two prayers. May it be well Hashem, our God and God of our fathers, that we be a head and not a tail. And the second of all, may it be well Hashem, our God and God of our fathers, that we be fruitful and multiply like fish. We want to be fruitful and multiply like fish. So here are a lot of the symbolic foods people eat in Rosh Hashanah. Many people really just do the fish, the, um, the fish, the challah, the apples and honey, and uh, the pomegranates. A lot of people also do carrots. Anybody here ever had a classic Rosh Hashanah food called simis? Simis. The reason people eat simis is because of the carrots in it, uh, and also because it's sweet. So again, Rosh Hashanah makes you eat a lot of sweet foods. Give yourself a, a sweet year. And again, this all connects to what we said in the beginning of the class that um, the main thing on Rosh Hashanah, well, one of the ideas is to be ahead, uh, ahead of a year and not the end of a year. Okay. Um, now, I, I did say I was going to talk about the shofar today, but um, I think since it's already 8.33, I'm going to leave that for next week. So um, I want to kind of end off on this note because we really covered Rosh Hashanah, the general holiday. We covered many of the rituals. Um, we covered the general idea behind the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. We're claiming God as king. That's why we build a shofar. Um, we're preparing ourselves for a new year. And again, as we mentioned in the relationship, there's two parts. Relationship, there's a focus on the future relationship. And then you can also focus on what happened in the past. Rosh Hashanah is a big focus on the future of the relationship. So what I want to really present to us today is, first of all, now is the time to start to prepare ourselves for Rosh Hashanah, try and make ourselves better 
when it enters Rosh Hashanah, we should be ready. Just as we prepare the brisket, we prepare ourselves spiritually in the three pillars, Torah, Tzilah, Um, We want to make sure that um, we um, we want to make sure that we uh, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, we want to focus on our New Year's resolutions and to be focusing on accepting God as a king, not as a dictator. Too many people come into Rosh Hashanah looking at God as the dictator, as, as in and it's missing the whole point of Rosh Hashanah. We look at God as a dictator, as this guy's going to strike us down, so I got to pray to him for a good new year, otherwise he'll write me the book of death or something. We want to focus on that relationship with God. It's going to be so much more beautiful and happy and a wonderful day for you. Focus on that relationship with God. God wants to be a king and a good king at that. He doesn't want to be a dictator. He wants to be a king. And remember that Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year. Uh, try and make it a wonderful day. A lot of people actually have a custom to not speak anything on the day of Rosh Hashanah except for good things. So stay away from gossip of Rosh Hashanah. Not a good idea. You know, we have family time. Try not to make fun of other people. It's really a day to focus and try and set ourselves up for a really great and wonderful year ahead. And um, next week, I want to cover uh, Rosh Hashanah prayers. So you'll have more of an appreciation of Rosh Hashanah. I'm going to start off with a shofar, which I was supposed to do today, but we're running out of time. So, so I'm going to do the shofar next week. Tashlich, and I'm going to get to the general outline of the Rosh Hashanah prayers so you have a better appreciation uh, for the prayers that go on from Rosh Hashanah. And I want to end off with uh, just this idea. And the final idea is as we start off the class, just to remember historically what Rosh Hashanah is. Historically, Rosh Hashanah is the day that mankind was created. And um, I think the main thing in the relationship with God is thinking about what is our purpose on this earth? Um, what is our goal on this earth? What, is, uh, what are we here for? Um, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. And it's important to ask ourselves now because, um, you know, the rest of you are busy. People compare this time of year to like a business. A business is very busy the whole year. Uh, you can't always stop and think, what is our, you know, what's our company's mission? Are we living within our mission? Are we making enough money? Yada, yada, yada. Every once in a while, the company stops, especially when it comes to new fiscal year, they stop and they pause and they think. And so as it comes to Rosh Hashanah, really, I think the most important message for us right now is to stop and think, um, you know, how have I been living my life this past year? How has my relationship with God been? And by the way, our relationship with God changes our relationship with others um i'm not just trying to you know make us all spiritual people um which of course i am but i mean <laughs> it sounds funny rabbis is not trying to make you spiritual what i'm trying to say is that we should never think spirituality is different than our than our physical lives the more spiritual we are the more mission focused we are actually the better of a husband we are the better of a friend we are the better of a wife we are the better of a parent we are um because when we're focused on our mission comes less about us. Ego is really the source and root of all issues in life. And the more we connect with God in the proper way, because you can connect to God in an improper way. One can be uh, spiritual, but just to, you know, look greater to other people. Well, I mean, really getting close to God. If we're really getting close to God, what that really means is we're lowering our ego. When we lower our ego, we just become a greater person, a better person all around to be with. And coronating God as king is the ultimate abdination, ab ab I don't know the word, abdination, abdination, letting go, 
Someone else name is Brady. Letting go of our ego. When you look at pictures, people coronate the king, right? They bow down, you prostrate before the king. The whole idea is saying, you are the king. We are your servants. Um, it's not letting go of who we are, but it's saying we are part of a greater mission. And when we put ourselves as part of the greater mission, it means we focus less on ourselves as us and greater on what we're here for. And the worst thing you want in life is a person who's totally focused on themselves. The spouse is very self-focused. It's a bad spouse to be around. The parent who wants to have kids because they want uh, their kids to show off to the people, show how smart they are, how this they are, they're not the good parents. And so as it comes to Rosh Hashanah, um, I think as the, you know, as the year goes on, uh, we kind of sometimes lose track and we, we, we get a little too self-focused. And so now's the time to take a moment uh, to get ready to focus on our relationship with God. And the relationship with God is ultimately, again, about becoming a mission-focused person. And so uh, just as the first year of Rosh Hashanah, Adam realized he was on this world for a mission, Adam and Eve, we have to all realize that we are here in this earth for a mission, try and work on that mission, try and work on that connection with God. And may God look at us and see the work that we're doing. And may he bless us all with a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. And that's, that's my whole spiel for today. Hope you join me next week to uh, get an appreciation for the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, which are very long. And uh, we'll see you next week at uh, 7.30 p.m. And if anybody has any questions, now's your time. Otherwise, you can uh, head out and I'm going to say goodbye to Facebook.